This is section 63 of Mark Twain, a biography, volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, a biography, by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 167, Notes and Literary Matters. Clemens' notebooks of this time are full of the vexations of his business ventures, figures, suggestions, and a hundred imagined combinations for betterment, these things intermingled with the usual bits of philosophy and reflections and amusing reminders. Aldrich's man who painted the fat toads red, and naturalist chasing and trying to catch them. Man who lost his false teeth over Brooklyn Bridge when he was on his way to propose to a widow. One believes St. Simon and Benvenuto, and partly believes the Margravine of Beirut. There are things in the confession of Rousseau which one must believe. What is biography? Unadorned romance. What is romance? Adorned biography. Adorn it less, and it will be better than it is. If God is what people say, there can be none in the universe so unhappy as he, for he sees unceasingly myriads of his creatures suffering unspeakable miseries, and besides this foresees all they are going to suffer during the remainder of their lives. One might well say, as unhappy as God. In spite of the financial complexities and the drain of the enterprises already in hand, he did not fail to conceive others. He was deeply interested in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress at the moment, and from photography and scenic effect he presaged a possibility today realized in the moving picture. Dress up some good actors as Apollyon Greatheart, etc., and the other Bunyan characters, take them to a wild gorge and photograph them. Valley of the Shadow of Death. Two other effective places and photo them along with the scenery. To Paris in their curious costumes. Place them near the Arc de l'Etoile and photo them with the crowd. Vanity Fair, to Cairo, Venice, Jerusalem, and other places, twenty interesting cities, and always make them conspicuous in the curious foreign crowds by their costume. Take them to Zululand. It would take two or three years to do the photographing and cost ten thousand dollars. But this stereopticon panorama of Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress could be exhibited in all countries at the same time and would clear a fortune in a year. By and by I will do this. If in 1891 I find myself not rich enough to carry out my scheme of buying Christopher Columbus's bones and burying them under the 
statue of liberty enlightening the world i will give the idea to somebody who is rich enough incidentally he did an occasional piece of literary work early in the year with brander matthews he instructed and entertained the public with the copyright controversy in the princeton review matthews would appear to have criticized the english copyright protection or rather the lack of it comparing it unfavorably with american conditions clemens who had been amply protected in great britain replied that america was in no position to criticize england that if american authors suffered in england they had themselves to blame for not taking the proper trouble and precautions required by the english law that is to say previous publication on english soil he declared that his own books had been as safe in england as at home since he had undertaken to comply with english requirements and that professor matthews was altogether mistaken both as to premise and conclusion you are the very wrong-headedest person in america he said and you are injudicious and of the article i read it to the cat well i never saw a cat carry on so before the american author can go to canada spend three days there and come home with an english and american copyright as strong as if it had been built out of railroad iron matthews replied that not everyone could go to canada any more than to corinth he said it is not easy for a poor author who may chance to live in florida or texas those noted homes of literature to go to canada clemens did not reply again that is to say he did not publish his reply it was a capable bomb which he prepared well furnished with amusing instance sarcasm and ridicule but he did not use it perhaps he was afraid it would destroy his opponent which would not do in his heart he loved matthews he laid the deadly thing away and maintained a dignified reserve clemens often felt called upon to criticize american institutions but he was first to come to their defense especially when the critic was an alien when matthew arnold offered some strictures on america clemens covered a good many quires of paper with caustic replies he even defended american newspapers which he had himself more than once violently assailed for misreporting him and for other journalistic shortcomings and he bitterly denounced every shaky british institution touched upon every weak spot in hereditary rule he did not print not then an article on the american press probably the best of those prepared at this time was used in part in the american claimant as the paper read before the mechanics club by parker assistant editor of the democrat he was writing mainly for relief without success however for he only kindled the fires of his indignation he was at quarry farm and he plunged into his neglected story a yankee in king arthur's court and made his astonishing hero the mouthpiece of his doctrines he worked with an inspiration and energy born of his ferocity to whitmore near the end of the summer he wrote i've got sixteen working days left yet and in that time i will add another 
120,000 words to my book, if I have luck. In his memoranda of this time he says, There was never a throne which did not represent a crime. There is no throne today which does not represent a crime. Show me a lord, and I will show you a man you couldn't tell from a journeyman shoemaker, if he were stripped, and who, in all that is worth being, is the shoemaker's inferior. And in the shoemaker I will show you a dull animal, a poor-spirited insect, for there are enough of him to rise and chuck the lords and royalties into the sea where they belong and he doesn't do it but his violence waned maybe for he did not finish the yankee in the sixteen days as planned he brought the manuscript back to hartford and found it hard work there owing to many interruptions he went over to twitchell's and asked for a room where he might work in seclusion they gave him a big upper chamber but some repairs were going on below from a letter written to theodore crane we gather that it was not altogether quiet friday october fifth eighteen eighty eight dear theo i am here in twichell's house at work with the noise of the children and an army of carpenters to help of course they don't help but neither do they hinder it's like a boiler factory for racket and in nailing a wooden ceiling onto the room under me the hammering tickles my feet amazingly sometimes and jars my table a good deal but i never am conscious of the racket at all and i move my feet into positions of relief without knowing when I do it. I began here Monday morning, and have done eighty pages since. I was so tired last night that I thought I would lie abed and rest today, but I couldn't resist. I mean to try to knock off tomorrow, but it's doubtful if I do. I want to finish the day the machine finishes and a week ago the closest calculation for that indicated october twenty second but experience teaches me that the calculations will miss fire as usual the other day the children were projecting a purchase livy and i to furnish the money a dollar and a half jean discouraged the idea she said we haven't got any money children if you would think you would remember the machine isn't done it's billiards tonight i wish you were here with love to you both s l c p s i got it all wrong it wasn't the children it was marie she wanted a box of blacking for the children's shoes. Jean reproved her and said, Why, Marie, 
You mustn't ask for things now. The machine isn't done. Neither the Yankee nor the machine was completed that fall, though returns from both were beginning to be badly needed. The financial pinch was not yet severe, but it was noticeable, and it did not relax. A memorandum of this time tells of an anniversary given to Charles and Susan Warner in their own home. The guests assembled at the Clemens home, the Twitchells among them, and slipped across to Warner's entering through a window. Dinner was then announced to the Warners, who were sitting by their library fire. They came across the hall and opened the dining-room door, to be confronted by a table fully spread and lighted, and an array of guests already seated. End of chapter 167 Notes and Literary Matters Read by John Greenman